The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Every year at the end of the year, looking into the new year, I preach on a theme or something that I I feel convicted to talk about as sort of a charge to the church uh, for that coming year. And so uh, in this year, I felt really convicted uh, that the charge that I wanted to give to ICC uh, centered on this idea of love and what it really means to uh, grow in love uh, toward others. And so why don't we pray and then we'll, we'll get into uh, this theme of being defined by, by love. God, we close out this year in remembrance of just your great faithfulness for us in so many ways unseen how you've been at work in our lives lord what a small uh, fraction of what you are doing for us can we even acknowledge and understand and yet by faith um, we give you praise and we give you worship that you are such a good god toward us a loving in every way uh, so much more loving than we could ever comprehend And so we pray that the eyes of our heart might be open to grasp more and more deeply that love that you have for us that is unlike any other love that we experience in this world so that out of the richness of receiving that love, we too can be ones who love others with that same love. For we pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, If you were here last week uh, for our Christmas message, I... Um, used as one of the key illustrations uh, the struggle that this uh, actress Jane Fonda had with her father, Henry Fonda, who was also a famous actor. Um, Talking with some of you afterward, um, I realized how many of you had no idea who Henry Fonda was or who Jane Fonda is, frankly. She said, oh yeah, she's the girl that made the, the workout video or something like that, and it really deflated me. You know, I realized, like, I guess it just really makes me feel so old that you don't even know who Jane and Henry Fonda are. But um, as I shared last Sunday, uh, for years, Jane Fonda tried in vain to earn her father's approval. Um, and then in later years, uh, she tried to reconcile that broken relationship that she had with her father. And as I shared last week, uh, she went to this extreme measure of even purchasing and producing a movie called On Golden Pond, which uh, eerily mirrored, it was a, that, that, that movie was a story about a family that was very similar to her own family. And so she cast her father as the father figure, and she as the daughter, And she did all of this, she orchestrated all of this, that in the hopes of somehow in the course of filming this movie, uh, there would be some kind of breakthrough that would happen between her and her father. Uh, But unfortunately, uh, that breakthrough never really ever happened. And um, basically, Jane Fonda went through her entire life, uh, she's still alive, Uh, But she's going through her entire life, basically, never having really received that affirmation from her father that she craved so desperately. And so um, what ended up happening for Jane Fonda was that she sought 
that affirmation from all of the husbands that she married throughout her life. And so it's kind of very crazy, the life she lived, because depending on which guy she was married to, she totally transformed herself to become a sex uh, symbol and then an activist who went to the Vietnam War and all that, and then a rancher's wife when she married Ted Turner who started CNN. And it's just, she just kept reinventing herself because in essence what Jane Fonda was doing was she was asking each of these men, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. Define me. Help me to know who I am. Uh, Again, I may be making a reference here that's going to date me, but some of you may be old enough to know this Saturday Night Live character called Stuart Smalley. Do do any of you guys know who he is? Yes, thank you. All right. Played by uh, comedian Al Franken, who would eventually become a uh, senator, a disgraced senator. Um, Stuart Smalley was this self-help guru who tried to help others through this show that he had called Daily Affirmations, okay? Uh, But the running joke of this whole bit that they did on SNL was that Stuart Smalley was the most insecure guy in the room, you know? And yet he's trying to help others with their insecurity. And um, he would end each show by looking into the mirror and he would say these lines, and you can actually click and it'll show it to you. Uh, It says, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, And doggone it, people like me, okay? That's how he would end every show. And the question is, why was this line so funny to everyone? Well, I think if you really try to break it down to the essence of what was going on in the skit, I think we all laughed every time Stuart Smalley said this into the mirror because we all recognize that just because we say these things doesn't make it true, right? And there's also a sense in which... um, these are the kind of statements that we don't get to tell about ourselves. We don't just get to self-declare, I am these things. They're the kind of statements that others have to make about us, right? Um, And I think that is one of the great curiosities of humanity, is that we don't have the privilege of deciding our own sense of worth, our own sense of personhood, really, and value. It's interestingly something that must be given to us by others. Okay? Uh, And I wonder if that is by God's design. Because really, we made in the image of God, we're created to be given our worth and our dignity by God, who accords it to us. I think the problem, unfortunately, though, is that rather than looking to God, to giving us our sense of worth, we look to everybody else, to our spouse, to our friends, family, to tell us who we are, to tell us our worth. And all too often, that is a a setup for a broken heart. Um, For today, I want to actually show you another clip from that documentary on Jane Fonda that Last week, I focused on her broken relationship with her father, Henry Fonda. But in this clip, uh, which I, again, it may feel a little disjointed because I spliced a bunch of different clips together from that documentary. But what it's going to look at is more her relationship with her mother, who uh, sadly ended up committing suicide while she was still a young girl, while Jane was still a young girl. 
And uh, before her mother committed suicide, uh, Jane just had a really rocky relationship with her, just really resented her and disliked her uh, throughout her childhood. And so let's go ahead and take a look at that clip, and then we'll go on here. Your age is less chronological and more spiritual and attitudinal. I was so old at 20. I mean, maybe people who knew me then would have said, what? But on a soul level, I was really, I saw no future. I was very dark, very sad person. There was no joy. I didn't really know who I was. It took me a, a really long time to find my own narrative. When I watched my dad die, I felt that he had a lot of regrets. If I do not want to get to the end of life with a lot of regrets, and I know that the regrets won't be what I did, they'll be the, for the things I didn't do. This is the beginning of my last act. In order to know how to go forward, I was going to have to know where I'd been. If you really go back and try to understand who you've been, you have to understand who your parents were. Why were they not able to really look at you with eyes of love, reflect yourself back with eyes of love? Why did they have duct tape over their eyes? Why did narcissism blind them from being able to really see you? Who were their parents? Why did their parents treat them the way they did? I began in 2000 to write my memoirs. I dedicated them to my mother because I thought it's going to force me to figure out who she was. I found out that my mother was the life of the party. Everybody loved being around your mother. Yeah, they did? Oh, my gosh. Oh, and she was, I mean, men loved her. And her father's, my grandfather's side of the family said, oh, we all wanted to be close to your mother. She was a rock. It was like, my mother? It was such a, unlike my image of who she was, it just stunned me. All these conflicting stories came to me and, you know, I'd always sensed that she must have had a really hard childhood. And um, so with the help of a lawyer, I got her medical records from the institution where she killed herself. And um, I found from her medical records that she suffered from manic depression. That's what they called it. It's today called bipolar. And there was this little autobiography. They must have asked her to write her life story. What a gift. Suddenly it's like 
It had nothing to do with me. It wasn't that I was not lovable. It's that things would happen to her. She had a very, very hard childhood and um, it broke her in some way. On some fundamental way, it broke her. I think the defining moment in my mother's life was the death of her mother. My mother died in 1950 and I never had an inclination to come here. And at the time, it's the right time for me to come and, and visit her grave. her life story and all I wanted to do was take her in my arms and just say I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I'm so sorry that I wasn't more loving to you I didn't know I'm so sorry that you had to go through that please forgive me capacity to love wasn't because you weren't worthy of love but it was because they too had been wounded and then you can forgive it goes from one generation to another and Somebody's got to break the cycle. One of the reasons that I wanted to write my book was because I wanted my daughter to know why I wasn't a better parent to her and that it had nothing to do with her. I get so sad when I think of what I wasn't for my daughter that she needed. And it's hard to take that in because it's so painful. But it's never too late, I think. There are things between us now that didn't used to be there, and I think we both feel it. Deep down, we love each other. I hope that she'll be able to forgive me. It's, uh, <clears throat> it's such an honest um, telling of her story, isn't it? as she confesses um, this just tragic chain of brokenness from her mother to her and then from her to her own daughter uh, and just seeing 
how the cycle just perpetuates of us being hurt by the people in our life and then hurting the people in our lives as a result of the wounds that we've borne. And in a way, you could say Fonda's entire life was marked by this desperate search for true love that always seemed to elude her in all of her relationships, longing for that acceptance, that approval that she never quite received from all of the men or even the women in her life. And as I was uh, getting into a bit last week, I think that's much of experience of love in our world. When we think of love, it's, it's often brokenness that comes right alongside that love. And so, you know, last week I focused on God's love for us uh, through the Christmas story. But as we are looking into 2019, uh, the charge that I would like to give to our church is now what does that mean as those who have received God's love to give that love to others uh, in serving others by loving them as God has loved us. That's a journey that I would like to see our church take in 2019, is how do we grow in love for one another and for others? Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 to 40, catches this interesting conversation between Jesus and these Pharisees. And it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's a pretty bold statement that Jesus is making here. Now, the first part of what Jesus' answer was would have made total sense to his Jewish audience because basically Jesus was just quoting what was known as the Shema, which is the verb to hear in Hebrew. And basically that comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 5, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And so up to that point, anyone that was hearing Jesus would not have been surprised at all. But what was so interesting about Jesus' command is that he tacks on Leviticus chapter uh, 19, verse 18, which says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he combines them together and says they're really like one and the same command. When you are loving God, it must always be included in there loving your neighbor as yourself. Jesus is basically saying you cannot separate the two. If you say that you love God, then you must love others as well. Before Jesus would go to the cross, he gathered the disciples for a final Passover meal and he would wash the disciples' feet. And after having done so, in John chapter 13, verse 14, and verse 34 to 35, he would say this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then he says this, by this 
All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In other words, what Jesus was saying was that love is central to our identity as Jesus' disciples. It is the defining quality of a Christian. And that's not a subtle message that is found in the Bible. It is right there in our face and to say, basically, if you don't have love in your heart, you are not my disciple. It's a pretty strong statement. Um, maybe I could illustrate it like this. There was this day when I had to go somewhere, and before I went there, I was trying to figure out if I had enough time to swing by. Um, I, I think it was to the Apple store and pick up some cable I needed or something like that. But the timing of it was really tight, and I wasn't sure if I was going to make it. But I decided to go for it. So as I am driving this like 20, 25-minute trip, somehow um, everything went my way. Did you ever, did you ever have those days? Like every light where I normally get stuck turned green for me, you know? And then like, I, I'm, maybe this is kind of revealing the kind of driver I am, but I'm a pretty aggressive driver. And so, you know, I'm always figuring out which lane to go in at a, at a traffic light. And on this day, I pick the right lane every time, right? No slow cars, everyone cooperating and moving quickly. And, like, I got to this Apple store in record time. And I thought, like, the angels of God are watching me here. I, it was just, it felt like such a magical drive to this place. And I got there in amazing time. And I got to the store thinking God is with me. And then <laughs> I realized that I left my wallet at home. <laughs> And the entire thing was for no good, right? And I couldn't buy the cable. And I think that's, <laughs> that's what Jesus is saying about love. He's saying, you could have everything. It all looks like it's lining up. But if you don't have love, it's like nothing. <laughs> you have missed the most essential thing. Of all. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 through 3 says this If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned and have not love, I gain nothing. I want that message to really sink in for a moment in your heart because I want to challenge you that you may be growing in a lot of aspects of the Christian life. But are you year by year becoming a more loving person? Would that be one of the hallmarks of your journey? Is that year by year, what people around you would say of you is you are becoming more loving to others. Because what I think Paul is saying here is, without love, it calls into question 
the motives behind everything else that you're doing in your life right now. Without love, why do you do the things you do? Why are you so zealous for the things that you're so passionate about? What fuels all of that? Because if it is not love, then it is not God that is driving those things. Well, what exactly is love? I think this is one of the most difficult words to actually define. And I I think in order for us to define what it means for us to love others, we have to see what God's love looks like toward us. Let me just read two verses to try to see if it would shed some light on it. One is one we looked at last week, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then the other one is Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. As I look at these two verses... Maybe one definition of love that I could offer would be like this in light of God's love for us. And that is this. To love others is to put their good even above our own. I think that is a a good working definition of love. It is to have such regard for somebody else that you actually work toward their welfare even at the cost of your own welfare helping somebody to that extent. And I want to challenge you of how radical a posture this is for life. I want to challenge you that without God's help, this is not a position in life that any of us could assume. Because the truth is, I think all of us operate out of pretty selfish motives all the time. What's in it for me? How do I gain from this? And out of that selfishness, we end up using people. What, what do I benefit from this relationship? What do I gain from him being in my life? And what the love of God challenges us to do is to completely upturn that way of thinking and saying, what can I do for this person that benefits them, that has nothing to do with my benefit? And how can I serve that purpose? in my life, even at great cost to me. Scott McKnight says this, Everything about spiritual formation for Jesus is shaped by his version of the Shema. For Jesus, love of God and love of others is the core. Love, a term almost indefinable, is unconditional regard for a person that prompts and shapes behaviors in order to help that person to become what God desires. Love, when working properly, is both emotional, emotion and will, affection and action. This is the Jesus Creed, and it is the foundation of everything Jesus teaches about spiritual formation. And so that's the challenge that I want to give you in 2019. Whatever that you're focusing on in your Christian life, whatever it is that you are trying to pursue, is love the engine that is driving all of that? And I think, as sad as it is to say, maybe one of the most fundamental questions you have to ask yourself is how do I view others? 
With what regard do I look for the welfare of the people in my life? Is there really a side within me that says, irregardless of how I gain from it, what can I actually do to bless this person, to help them in their journey toward God and help them? I want to say this, that we must first receive God's love for us before we can truly love others in this way. 1 John chapter 4 says this, verses 7 to 12 and verse 19 to 21. Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. In other words, what John is saying is you cannot start with the command to love. That's a dead end. The place to start is to understand God's love for us. And only in understanding his love for us can we have the love to give to others. Last week I talked about how Jesus illustrated this love through these three stories that he told of a lost sheep and a lost coin and then finally a lost son. And in each of these stories, the whole point of that story was how ridiculous the celebration seems to us. Of them basically throwing a party for finding a coin that was lost. And the, the whole point of what Jesus was trying to say is, whatever your view of God's love for you, it's too domesticated. It is too small. The way that God feels toward you is so over the top that if you really understood it, you'd be embarrassed by it. You're likely to dismiss it as being ridiculous because the truth is all of us have received love imperfectly by others. And we take that same struggle that we have of love with others and we apply it to God and say, there is no way that God could be that loving. There is no way that he could love me this much. But what Jesus was trying to say is his love is so over the top that when you truly understand it, it even looks ridiculous how much God loves us and cares for us. It is only those who have received that kind of love who are able to love others with the love that God gives us. Let me just give a few expressions of what this love looks like in our lives. The first is this, love is demonstrated through action and initiative. Love is demonstrated through action and initiative. In other words, when God showed his love for us, it was a pursuing love. It was a love in action. It was not just the statement of how God feels toward us, although that's part of it. But it is also what he did on our behalf. 
If you look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 to 19, it says this, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. And then it says, He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. And then he says this, And you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. And so what's interesting about these verses is that right before he commands his people to love foreigners, he says, I am a God who loves foreigners. And then the way that he demonstrates that love, he says, is I clothe them and I feed them. In other words, the message to the Israelites is this, is that love must be love in action because that's my love. When I say that I love somebody, it is demonstrated through my actions toward them. And so he says, when you love the foreigner, it's not just a warm feeling you have in your heart toward these people, but show it through action. And I think there's a lot of confusion there because when we say that we love something, an inanimate object like an iPhone or something, what we're largely saying is how that thing makes us feel inside, right? That's what we mean when we say, I love something. But when we say we love somebody else, what we are saying in true understanding of biblical love is not just how does that person make me feel, but it is what do I do to demonstrate that love toward them. In other words, I suspect this, that pretty much every one of you in this room are generally nice guys, you know, nice people. You are not out to get somebody, you know? You are not maliciously attacking people and trying to ruin their lives. At least most of you, okay? I hope, I hope all of you. And I think a lot of you have this kind of posture in life is, you know what? I just try not to be a headache to other people. And, you know, like they can live their life and I can live my life and we're all good. But what the Bible would argue is that's not going far enough when it comes to real love of God. Just leaving people alone to live their lives is not love. Love is not love, in other words, unless there is a sense in which you are doing something on behalf of that person to help them, to strengthen them, to be there as their present help in their moment of need, acting on their behalf for their good. It's also, I would argue, something that causes us to take initiative. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 to 24 says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. In other words, what I believe love is showing us is that when we truly say God's love is in us, it is the kind of love that causes us to take initiative and to make the first steps toward reconciliation toward somebody rather than just waiting with our arms folded and said, well, I'll be here if you want to talk and if you want to say sorry. One other aspect of this love that I want to bring about is this, that love has the power to heal the brokenness of our relationships. I think that's what that video with Jane Fonda powerfully demonstrated. 
is that so much of our attempts at love are going to happen in very difficult relationships. Relationships that grieve us and cause us much pain. And I think what God is saying about his love is that when that love truly comes from me, it has the power to heal that brokenness of the relationships in your life. And very often, that God is going to use us to be one of the agents to bring about that healing in those relationships. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 47 says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. I think what Jesus is saying is, is this. Many of the places where God is going to invite us to demonstrate his love are going to be incredibly painful places to do it. And the truth is, even our attempts at loving someone may not be received by them. And they may push us away. And what does it mean to really love somebody, to sacrifice of ourselves in order to give ourselves to trying to mend that relationship? What would it really mean for me to serve that person in a selfless way in that brokenness to allow God's healing to take place? Because I think without that humble receiving of God's love, none of our broken relationships stand a chance of true healing. Unless God first does that work in our life, we cannot be the ones who are going to be used by him to heal the brokenness in our lives. And so I, I'm just going to wrap up here, and we're going to go into communion in just a few minutes. But can I just invite you to pause for a second and think about your life in 2018 as we look about turning into another year. And I want you to think about some of the brokenness in your life of relationships gone sour and people you've hurt, and people who have hurt you. And I want you to think about how much of the things that you're focusing on in terms of goals that you're trying to accomplish and things that you want to see happen in your life really center on this issue of love. Because what Jesus would say is, if somehow love is not driving everything, you sort of miss the whole boat, what the whole point of my kingdom is all about. I wonder if you would dare as you're driving home from church today to talk to your spouse or to your children and say, do you feel like I'm growing in love? Am I becoming a more loving person year by year? Or call up a friend. Talk to a family member. Because what Jesus would say is, without love, there is nothing. There is nothing. Because God is love. And everything that drives the Christian life must center on this issue of love. Let me close with this quote by Scott McKnight. And it says this, It is my recommendation that each of us, in an experiment of ordering our lives around the spiritual formation principle of Jesus, memorize and then repeat the Jesus Creed 
daily. To remind ourselves of what our Lord asks of us. The Jesus Creed has become a silent partner in my life. Sometimes when I sit, sometimes when I walk, sometimes when I lie down, but always when I rise in the morning, I simply and quietly recite to myself and before God the Jesus Creed. It punctuates my morning. It sets a rhythm to my day and settles my day into a comfortable spot. It constantly reminds me, not as a command, but as a confession, that whatever I do throughout the day is to be shaped by loving God and loving others. I need that reminder. I think that would be a great way to apply the sermon, is to write down Matthew 22, verse 37 to 40, on a note card somewhere. Tape it to your mirror. Tape it to your dashboard or whatever. When you're at a red light, look at it. When you're at your office, read it. And just think to yourself over and over again, does this command center my life and everything that flows out of it and every way that I try to treat people in my life, could I say that it is centered on love? I'll confess this is as a pastor, I am regularly solicited for help. And truthfully, um, this is why I dread looking at my inbox and my email or looking at the voicemails that are waiting for me on my phone is because just about any time anyone contacts me, it's to ask something of me, you know? And what I realize is, man, how I go through a day can flip on a dime like that. And the natural posture that I have because of my sinfulness is I just wish people would leave me alone. (laughs) That's my sinfulness coming out is just... Everyone is just taking and taking and taking, you know. As a pastor, I realize how much I need this. Every day, this is not a good thing to have. This is an essential survival tool for the Christian life. Unless every single day I am bathed in the love of God, my tank is empty to give anything to anybody else. And what I operate out of is not a place of love, but a place of obligation and duty. And I cannot be used by Christ in the fullness of how he wants to use me to affect other people's lives if there is not love in my heart. How you parent your children, how you love your spouse, how you go to work each day and interact with your coworkers. Would Jesus look at that and say, there is love. There is love there. Or is love completely absent from those places? We need God to be able to live that life of love. Let's pray. We're going to go into communion here in just a moment and share uh, at the Lord's table. But before we do, we just invite you to just reflect for a moment about the charge that I would like to give ICC for 2019. This charge to love. And maybe the place to start for you might be, you know, I just don't think in that framework of love hardly at all, if ever. I'm always thinking about my obligations and what I have to get done and what the next step is in my life and how I'm going to advance my life and what it's in it for me. And maybe through the work of the Spirit this morning, God might be challenging you. As we go into 2019, maybe one of the things that He's going to invite you to do is, where is love in your heart? And maybe what you realize and what you can confess What you can acknowledge is truthfully, 
there's not a lot of love there for other people. Instead, I just feel constantly harassed. I feel constantly on edge. I feel constantly at a, at a baseline level of irritation at people, annoyance, resentment, my coworkers, my spouse, my children. I'm constantly impatient, angry, upset. And so maybe the place that God is inviting you to start is just simply, do you know God's love for you? how much he loves you. Maybe that's the place to start is let me receive that love first, God, so that as you fill my heart with your love, I could have love to give to other people. And then maybe if I could challenge you, who are the people in your life that God has brought into your life to love? Maybe you're struggling with that. I find this person so hard to love. It's not easy. Maybe this is a time when you can come before God and say, God, I cannot love this person by my own strength. I need your love to fill me and give me the strength to do what I cannot do by my own strength. Uh, The worship team is going to lead us in a song right now before we go into communion. And so uh, let's go and join together in that song before we come to this Lord's table.